If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. The Apostle writes, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him, and we announce to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, I'm wondering, I want to read one more passage, but I'm looking at our time. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll just uh, not read that second passage. Okay? It's in John, and I'm going to explain it to you during the sermon. So I'm going to leave that out right now because I'm looking at the time. Okay, but this is the word of the Lord. Praise All right, now, a few weeks ago, a few weekends ago, we looked at 1 John 1, 1 through 4. In the evening, it was January the 1st, we did our nine lessons and carols of Christmas. We sang all those carols, and we looked at this short passage here in verses 1 through 4. And John, in that part, what we said was that night that John is saying, we beheld Jesus' glory. That's what he teaches here in these verses. We beheld the glory of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who has come so that we might know Jesus Christ, so we might know the Father as well and have this fellowship. He knows this joy. He knows this fellowship, and he wants us to have it as well. And so he teaches us about this glory. Now, in this sermon, what I want to do is focus on verse 5. And let me read it to you again. This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There's three points I want us to look at. First, the source of this message. Second, the dissemination of this message. And third, the content of this message. And then at the end we'll answer this question, how does this message relate to us and our fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ, God's Son? First, the source of the message. This message, verse 5, we have heard from who? We have heard from Him. Who's the Him? We don't even get Jesus' name for a while, but we know that it's Jesus. And we see that Jesus is a person who's a fact of history. He is a fact of history. In fact, John and all the apostles, he says, we heard Him, we saw Him, we looked at Him. That word looked at, Remember, I like the word beheld. It can be translated beheld, right? Older folks know what I'm talking about. Okay? So they, be, they beheld him. It's more than just a look. Remember, there's a, there's a story where, where John and Peter go rush in, and they look into the, you know, see Jesus in there. They're, they're, they're looking for Jesus. He's not in there. Well, one of them looked, and one of them lingered, right? Well, this is this lingering look. This is this looking and, and thinking, and they handle him. So he's a person of history, but he's also a unique fact of history because 
He was from the beginning. There never was a time when he wasn't. Jesus is the Son of God who put on human flesh. He has always existed, so he's a unique person of history. And John says over and over that we beheld him, we beheld his glory. Now, I remember when I was 27 years old and I was on my knees in a room reading the book of Mark. It, it, every now and then it might be a good idea to get on your knees and read your Bible. Okay, might help you out. But I remember reading my knees, on my knees, Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus appoints the 12 disciples. And Mark tells us, so that they would be with him. So that they could go out and preach for him. So that they could be with him. And so that they could go out and preach for him. Well, now John is here finding himself writing and preaching. But before he can write and before he can preach, he had to be with Jesus. How important is that? It's in the being with Jesus that he was prepared to write, and it's in the being with Jesus that he was prepared to preach, constantly in Jesus' presence from the very beginning of his ministry. And it's very important that they saw all of these things, and they were with Jesus, and Jesus all the time, this is what he taught them. I'm just going to pull one verse out. This is what he was telling them the whole time. It's going to happen that I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things for the, from the elders, from the chief priests, from the scribes. I'm going to be killed and raised on the third day, and they just never got it. <laughs> In fact, one day Peter rebuked him for saying that. But Jesus said this over and over. Well, then Jesus is raised from the dead, and Luke 24 tells us that Jesus opened their minds to understand that the law and the prophets and the Psalms were all about him. Now, all of a sudden, they have this resurrected Christ with pierced hands and pierced feet and a pierced side, and they have that message right in front of them. And Jesus opens their minds to understand that truth. He's already told them that over and over. It's nothing new. It was always the same. He's just reiterating what he had always said. Only now they have Jesus right in front of them. But again, he's in front of them and he's with them. He's with them. For 40 more days, he's with them. And if you and I, if we're going to be the servants, if we're going to be the ministers in our families, if we're going to be ministers to our friends and ministers to one another in this congregation, we're going to have to be with Jesus. No multitasking. No doing eight things at once, folks. You're going to have to be with Jesus. You're going to have to sit, Luke 10, 38 through 40. You're going to have to sit with Jesus like Mary. Listen to his words. Go and pray to him. You are, as some would say, you're going to have to look after yourselves and then look after others second. This is you and I. This is you and I doing private prayer and devotions, but more than that, it's corporate prayers and it's corporate being together under the Word. We cannot imagine. I, we, we could maybe preach a sermon on this, but we cannot imagine how important what we're doing right now is. Even if you're trying to stay awake, stay awake as best you can. What we are doing right now is very important. There's a discipline of the Spirit going on. There's a discipline of the Word going on. This is corporate prayer, corporate preaching. 
There's the participation in the sacrament. There's you and I living under the eye of the Lord. We are ready to obey God at every moment. When I'm at work, when I'm at play, when I'm sitting there in my chair, relaxing in the lazy boy, right? Being with Jesus in every situation, ready to pray, ready to obey, whatever comes your way. The apostle got this message from being with Jesus. You know, if there's anything that Jesus teaches us in his humanity, it's this. He said, I don't live by bread alone. He said, I don't live by conversations with men alone. He says, I live by the word of God also and conversations with my Father. That's how he lives in his humanity. Now, if Jesus in his perfect humanity needs God's word and he needs to conversations with God himself, then how much more do we need the word of God and conversations with God in prayer? Now, what are we going to do if we get this message from being with Jesus? What are we going to do with it? Well, we have to announce it. And that's, that's where we get the second point, the dissemination of the message, verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. So we, he's been with Jesus He's been beholding Jesus, touching Jesus, leaning, John, we could say, leaning against Jesus' bosom. He's been with him, and now what's he going to do? Well, he's going to go and proclaim it. He declares it. He knows this joy. He knows this fellowship, and so he wants others to have it. And if you and I have this fellowship with Jesus, if you and I have this joy, then there, I wrote this down, holy anxiety Oh, man, no, anxiety. No, you're not supposed to have anxiety. Yeah, you can have holy anxiety, friends. You can have holy anxiety for the things of God to get this across to others. I was with a mother the other day, and she was anxious for her children to know Jesus, anxious for her children to grow up knowing Jesus Christ. We know that life is short. I said this two times in the past month. And eternity is long. What are those lines from? A funeral. We know that life is short and eternity is long. And this creates in us this anxiety to share the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of God constrains us to do this. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. One of the things, that if, if you're studying really hard and you get to John chapter 6, and John chapter 6 is the bread of life discourse, and if you study all the gospels, you'll find out that right before he does this, he's told that John the Baptist dies. And he's gathering up, you know, his brood of disciples. He's going to take them over and he's going to give them some rest and time for reflection. And he begins to notice all the people. And as he notices all the people, he sees all of these crowds and his heart goes out to them because they're sheep without a shepherd. And so full of compassion, what does he do? He forgoes the rest. He forgoes the reflection. And he pours out another message John chapter 6. So he must get this out. There's this holy anxiety to get the message out. Well, third, and here's the main content of the sermon. 
the content of this message is verse 5. And this is the message that we have heard from him and we announce to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. What kind of statement is that? Now, I'm going to promise you, and I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I'm going to promise you if you go read a sermon on that verse, it'll be about the holiness of God. I'm not going to preach that. Let me tell you what I think this is. This is John's grand statement of what Jesus taught him and the other disciples. This is it. This is the thing that he walked away with after being with Jesus three years and so many months. God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. Where, what are, how are we supposed to understand this? John's entire gospel, if you go, to, go back to the prologue, John chapter 1, this whole gospel is about this person he's seen and beheld and handled who was always from the beginning, who was in a face-to-face -face relationship with God the Father at all times. He's in this fellowship with God. God, is, God has created everything through Jesus Christ who is the Word of God. And this is what John says, in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light is Jesus. And he is the one, through the, he's the one God is sh showing his light through. If you want to know about God the Father and his light, you look at Jesus. He shines in the darkness, we're told in John chapter 1. And we're told that the darkness doesn't overpower it. The same word can be translated, doesn't comprehend it. So the devil's trying to overpower the light. And the world is trying to put a bushel basket over the light. They're trying to overpower it. And we're also told that the light is not comprehended. Now, it sounds when John says these words that the darkness that men in sin do not comprehend it. Well, that's exactly what he says. It sounds so incredibly final. But this is how John writes. It sounds like no single person is ever going to comprehend this light. And it gets worse. He says, He is the true light that comes into the world to enlighten every man. Yet the world, verse 10, chapter 1 of John, the world did not recognize its creator. And then it gets even worse. He says that those, his own people, he came to his own people, the Jews, and they did not receive him. So the world doesn't recognize its creator, and the Jews don't recognize the Messiah, and it seems absolutely dismal. And then you read verse 12. Listen to verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. But pastor, I thought the world didn't recognize him, and I thought his own people did not receive him. And that's true. In and of themselves they did not. But there is another way, and that is the way of the what? The new birth. That's the way of the new birth. Those who did not receive him and those who did not believe in his name, they come to know him not because they're born of the flesh and not because they're born of the will of man, but because they're born by the power of God. They come to know him. So yes, it was dark. And yes, the light <clears throat> began to shine. Yes, the world tries to cover the light up with a bushel basket, and his own people will not receive him. But the light 
shines in the darkness. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus says, no one has seen the Father at any time but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father. Jesus has explained the light. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. My Father is light. And Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. That brings us to John 8. You see, in John chapter 8, now if I read that to you, in John chapter 8, Jesus has spent the night, it appears that he spent the night on the Mount of Olives. And John has this, got this wonderful way of what was called double entendre. He's saying two things at once. So as Jesus comes down from the mountain, the sun's coming up. Jesus comes to the temple and he begins to speak. He begins to preach and his words are light. The light begins to shine in the temple just as the sun is coming out in the, 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 the world is, is opening. The light is coming on in the world, if you will. So we got two lights going on at once. The sun is coming out and the light of Jesus Christ is shining as he preaches the gospel. And while he's there, scribes and Pharisees show up with a woman caught in a dark act. She's caught in the act of adultery. And these men, they, they pride themselves on being men of light. They pride themselves on being paragons of virtue. And they bring her basically and kind of throw her down in front of Jesus. And they want to know what he's going to do with this woman who's caught in sin. Teacher, they say, in the law of Moses, we are taught that anyone caught in the act of adultery is to be stoned to death. What do you say? This is a trap. This is a great trap. I mean, it's really good. It's almost ironclad until, of course, Jesus steps into the picture. Here's the trap. If they say, if Jesus says, stone her, he violates Romans, Rome, Roman, Roman law. Rome has the... Only, only Rome has the right of execution. If he doesn't say stone her, he violates the law of Moses. Got him. Got him both ways. Got him. Remember how I told you my dad used to come to the stop sign and he'd see a man pulled over and the lights were on and he'd be sitting underneath his voice. Got him. Got him. I'm never forgetting that. Got him. Jesus, is, they got him. How can he get out of this? What does he do? Well, if we read that, listen, it says that he stoops down and he starts writing with his finger in the sand. He stands back up and it's almost like, what is that? What, what Mike would tell, Michael would be able to tell me. The light goes from low volume to high volume. He rotates it over a little bit and he goes from so many watts to so many more watts and all the light comes on. And this is what Jesus says. Let him who is without sin, let that person be the first person to throw a stone. So what's he done? It short circuits the whole thing. Oh, yes, we must obey the law of Moses. Here you go, fellas. Take a stone and be the first one. All you guys who are without sin. And so all, all of a sudden, these lights, <laughs> these men who've listened to me, who've brought only the woman, where's the man? <laughs> only the, This is a trap. This is just a trap. They're just trying to accuse Jesus. They're setting him up. And they slink off. It says the grayest beards first to the darker beards last. The younger, the older to the younger. And then Jesus is left with this woman alone. Well, why do they do this? 
Well, John 3.18 says this. Those of you who do not believe in the name of the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, they, they, they love their darkness more than they love being in the light, capital L. They love the darkness more than being in the presence of Jesus, capital J. Rather than come to the light, rather than have their darkness exposed, they slink off into the darkness because they loved their evil. And now we have a dark woman in the presence of the light all by herself. The only person who has the right to cast a stone. The only person who, who has the right to cast a stone because he created her and she has sinned against God's holy laws. He's the only one who has the right. And what does he say? Woman, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Well, here's the question. How can the light of the world do this? How can the light of the world say this? How can he say you're not condemned? Well, he can say this because he came to be condemned for her. He can say it to you because he came to be condemned for you. This is why he came. 1 John 3, 5, Jesus appeared to take away our sins. 1 John 2, verse 2, Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. He absorbs the wrath for us. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came that he might put, take, uh, put to death the deeds of darkness. This is why he came. He came to take our darkness. He came to take all our disobedience. He came to take all our law-breaking. Listen to me. He came to take all our Cain-like attitudes and take them upon himself and die and be condemned for them. I think that's so important. Because sometimes don't we get so upset with ourselves when we sort of act like Cain. Maybe we don't kill our brother, but sometimes we act like in our hearts kind of bad, angry passions. But Jesus died on the cross for that. So that God in whom there's no darkness might have fellowship with us through his condemnation. He's the mediator. And the apostle Paul, he says the same words Jesus says to the woman. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as a result of this, there's fellowship. Jesus says this, and her fellowship begins. She didn't slink away. She stayed. <laughs> she stayed in his presence. And when she saw that face of his... She saw real eyes and a real heart that went out to her. Go and sin no more. She was in a relationship now. She's a follower of the light. I told the men the other night, I didn't dream that it would be in the sermon, about the Christ, Christ the Redeemer in our officer training. Christ the Redeemer is a statue that stands 90 feet tall in Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil. It's made of 1,320 tons of reinforced tile. The face of the Jesus alone is 9 feet tall, 63 feet wide. When you look at the eyes, there are no pupils. And when you look at the heart, the heart is on a cape. It's inscribed in cement. It's a, it, there are eyes that are cement. They cannot see, and it's a heart that is hard as stone. When Jesus 
when Jesus looked in this woman's face, she saw real eyes. She saw a man with real heart, and this man, his heart goes out to her, and her life became a new life. Now, with the time we have left, let me give you a few things to think about. You and I, we're to live ethical lives. You and I, we are to know what we believe. You and I are to call to defend what we believe, but there's more than that. We cannot look into the face of this Jesus who has real eyes and a real heart for us and walk away saying it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about fellowship. It's about sharing with this person who's brought us to life. It's about sharing with God the Father and the Son. Remember, this is why John is writing, so that we might have real fellowship. In fellowship, we just had this fellowship as the, at the Lord's table. Remember, the word fellowship means sharing. It means sharing and participating together. And the Apostle Peter says it like this, that we have become sharers in the divine nature. When you and I are born of the Spirit, no longer just of the flesh, but born of the Spirit, we're partakers or sharers in this divine nature with Jesus and God the Father. There's something in us that's new. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I live, yet not I, but Christ in me, says the Apostle. So sharing in this life of God means that you and I begin to have holy anxieties for the things of God. We begin to see the world lies in in the hands of the evil one. And yes, we vote for the right people, hopefully, that will pass good laws and righteous laws. And yes, we want to take care of our neighbors who live across the street. I mean, I tell you what, uh, I think the Holcombs just left, but they have a whole bunch of neighbors that came and helped them when they had that flood in their house. But it's more than that. We begin to to see this need to share the gospel with our neighbors and we are working at talking to our neighbors about the enterprise of bringing the souls out of darkness and into this glorious light of Jesus Christ. Sharing in this life of God means that we have a conversation with God. We have communion with God. One of the greatest things about being married is conversation. Isn't it? Now, one of the things I tell all these guys that get married, you know what I tell them? Talk. Talk. Keep talking. Don't stop talking. Drive to Longview and keep talking while you're on the way to Longview and then get something to eat and then drive back and keep talking. And when you have problems, you talk it over and you could say you're sorry because men say they're sorry way longer, more times than women do because they probably did more things wrong than the women did. And so you've got to keep this talking going on. And all of a sudden you find out that there's this, there's this person inside this, you know, there's this person inside this red-headed body that's just wonderful, you know. We have these men's and women's groups and we're sitting there and yeah, everybody knows, nobody knows anybody at first. And then all of a sudden you start talking and all of a sudden you start going, I trust this guy, he's not going to hurt me. And so you start talking, you get more deep into this thing and relationships get better and we're going to miss Steve like crazy when he leaves because he talks to us on Saturday. And when you love somebody, you don't have to work at talking, you just do it. And so when you are in this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you just talk to Him and you tell Him you love Him. You don't come and say, I got this need and I got this need. You might have some, but you may wait a while and just say during the day, you know, Lord, I love you. Lord, you know, 
Abba, Father, I love you. Whom am I in heaven but you, Lord? Besides you, I desire nothing. Psalm 27. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I may that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in his temple. I like this one. I'm yours, Lord. You say that I say that during the day. I say that all day. I'm yours, Lord. Save me. I got problems. Save me. My life is in your hands. Sharing life, the life of God, it means that He too will commune with us. It's not just one-sided, folks. Yeah, we talk to Him, but He communicates to us. How do you know it? How do you know that He's communicating with you? Well, let me ask you some questions. Why do you confess your sins? I, I listened to a song the other day, and you know what it said? This guy said, it's been a long time since I said I was sorry. Christians say they're sorry. They confess their sins. Why don't you, you go tell your kid when you lost your temper? Why don't you go tell your kid you were sorry for what you said? Because God's at work in you. God's at work in us. Why do I work so hard to think right thoughts? Why do I confess it when I think wrong thoughts? Why do you have holy passions? Why are you anxious about the Lord's things? Why when you go to a funeral do you grieve, but you don't grieve without hope? He's given us these tokens of His love. We had the bread and the wine. We have the word preached. These are tokens of His love. Here's one. I, t- I, t- I think I probably told every one of y'all. Why do I drive from point A to point B and not remember how I got there? When I'm tears, the tears are come, coming down my face, and I'm meditating on the scripture, and all of a sudden there's things that are going on in my mind. I've learned something new I didn't know. I don't remember how I got there, but I got there safely. I just enjoyed the whole month, all that time. The Spirit's working in our lives. Why is it? when I could crumble and compromise, that I find God strengthening me and enabling me to say what needs to be said, not to say what doesn't need to be said, to be the man I need to be. It's because he's with you. The Bible tells us the Lord was with Joseph. The Bible tells us the Lord was with Abraham and came to him and said, walk before me and be blameless. The Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God for 300 years and then he was not, for God took him. He was with God. Jesus told his disciples, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. At the bitter end, he said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. This is sharing. This is sharing life, sharing with God, God sharing with us. The source of this message is Jesus. The way it's going to be disseminated is announcing and proclaiming and preaching. And the content is this. God is light. And God's best light is in his son, Jesus, who had real eyes, who had a real heart, who when his power goes out, he makes you a new person so that you might share in this life. And this life is real fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to be here. No, it's 
little warm and we've got our foods full of our, our uh, stomachs full of food. But Lord, you've helped us to listen and you've helped us through this, this time together. Help us to reflect on Jesus. He's the light. We stay in that light. Oh, yes, we may confess our sins, but oh, yes, there's times when we have this glorious walk. There's times when we're enjoying this fellowship with you and just saying, I love you. And there's times when you're communicating to us uh, your presence, your power, and your love. Help us enjoy this fellowship. Help us enjoy it together. We'll praise you for it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.